What's up, y'all? My name is Jake. And my name is Carl. And you're listening to Do You Even Lift Bro? Men Exercising Social Justice. Thank you so much for tuning in with us, and we really appreciate it. Today, we're, our special guest is Will. Say hi to the peoples, Will. What up, peoples? <laughs> Thanks, Will. Uh, we'll get to know Will a little bit later uh, in the episode when Carl and I interview him directly, uh, so stay tuned to that. This episode, we'll be talking about intimacy and touch, and uh, Will kind of approached us to talk about this and how it relates to men. How are you doing, Jake? I'm doing well. How about yourself, Carl? I'm all right. It's been a day, yeah. been a week. Um, but I'm su- I, the more we do this, the more I'm like looking uh-huh. forward to actually sitting in a studio here to talk to other dudes. Like I'm not tired of you yet, Jake, but I'm also like very <laughs> much, very much looking forward to talking with Will here too. Okay. Yeah, for sure. I guess I kind of lied there. I'm like doing all right as well. I'm I'm not doing well. Okay. Um. So that's something I need to intentionally think about as well. Carl, what do you think when we say the word intimacy? Um, and I think the first couple of things that pop into mind is definitely some level of physical touch. Um, I think about cuddling. I think about sort of ex- not exposing myself like my body. Like that's not <laughs> what I think about when I think about intimacy, but like exposing who I am sort of fully and um, vulnerably to somebody else. I think are sort of the the progression of intimacy, right? So I start very much with the physical aspect of intimacy. And then the more I think about it, the deeper I get into like, it's way more than just physical touch or cuddling or um, I don't know, making long eye contact or something. Yeah, definitely. Um, What are some other ways that it's different than that? Uh, I think for me, the more I dig into this concept of intimacy, it's, it has a lot of levels to it beyond the physical. Um, and I'm always sort of reflecting on why may, or maybe as me as a man, why intimacy is so deeply connected to this concept of touch. Um, and so hopefully we get into that a little bit more, but what's the thing that pops up for you? Um, for me, I guess, yeah, first of all, it's touch. Cause I guess that's what I first think about, but lately it's been eye contact, uh, with others. I think that's an interesting thing about my masculinity is I have a sometimes a hard time have, like maintaining eye contact with people. And that's something I've been, I guess, more cognizant lately about um, and I've noticed it more. So what brings you to the table, Will? For me, um, this concept of intimacy has become a lot more salient for me in the past uh, couple months. Um, I've only like recently started to like uh, I would say allow myself to feel my emotions more um, and to kind of explore that um, because yeah, for a long time, I'll get into this later, but for, yeah, for a long time I was blocking it and I was just like driving home one day, actually driving to work one day and uh, I was like, had this intense sadness come over me and I didn't know where that was coming from. Um, and I just, for me uh, to be able to like kind of explore and find out where that was coming from. Um, I just like, like to locate where um, intense feelings are happening on my, in my body um, so like put my hand on my chest, um, where I was feeling, um, a lot of like warmth and just kind of allowed myself to, uh, feel like I had pressure behind my eyes as well. Um, and it kind of this like, uh, this idea popped into my head of like, um, I'm so sad because I'm yearning for something. Um, and I was like, I really just like yearning in the sense of I really wanted something or really wanted. Um, and that something was like a connection. Um, and it, was, it wasn't just a regular connection, but like a, a truly intimate connection with someone. Yeah. And I think what what I hear from that process, Will, is what then, like, why are we talking about intimacy in a podcast? Like, do you even lift, bro? And I kind of want to start from a broader perspective of what all of this means and then work our way down to those very deep 
been, I, I can't think of another word than intimate feelings that you just shared with us. <laughs> when we think about intimacy and sort of the way we've defined it so far as being open, um, being very much kind of in touch with both who you are and what you're willing to give to other people, can like, can you be best bros with somebody and have no intimacy in that relationship? I mean, I think... I'm thinking about how masculinity through, I guess, like closeness and intimacy is shown through doing something instead of like having a conversation or a dialogue, like playing baseball and then going to grab food. Like that's like, I feel like kind of very like surface level, like connection. So I don't, I don't know if you can always be intimate with your best bro, but it depends on what your, I guess your relationship with your best bro is. The other words that pop into my head when I think about intimacy is stuff like caring or taking time to like just want to be around somebody. Mm -hmm. um, those kind of characteristics are very much labeled within the context of the man box as gay or feminine. And so when I think about this concept of intimacy as it relates to relationships between men, I do think there are processes in which men try to like go through in order to achieve intimacy but if we're like sort of taught growing up that intimacy is gay or wrong some cases literally beaten out of us this concept of feeling intimacy or feeling intimate with people particularly if we feel that way for other men then i don't know if intimacy in a deeper sort of friendship sense can be met with your bros I don't know. I don't even call it best bros, but like now my connections with men seem to be, I guess, more of a, a deeper connection. Like I think about like things that I do with, with Will over here and as, as a friend, like I feel like I've done things with like you that I don't, I don't, and like talked about things that I haven't with other men um, and how that has developed closeness uh, within our relationship. Yeah, I would agree completely. And I think for me, when I think about intimacy and being best bros, like it's definitely evolved for me. Um, and it's like very apparent if I look back to like friendships I made with dudes in high school. Yeah. We see each other, like, especially now that we're in college, maybe once or twice a year. And there's like no connection between us in between those time sections. There's never like anyone checking in and like, Hey, how are you doing? Or like, Hey, I saw you post this, whatever on Facebook that you're going through a hard time. Your cat died, your grandma died, whatever. Are you doing? Okay. Like none of that exists. So when I think back to, yeah, my high school best bro relationships, I'd say there's zero intimacy in any of those. But then, yeah, after, you know, my journey through masculinity has evolved, you know, I've developed relationships with you, Jake, that are, I would say, much more intimate in the sense of like opening up just who I am as a person and vulnerability and yeah, just sharing more feelings, um, caring more about the other person and so on. I feel like we always... Like when I hang out with you or see you, like it's always in like an intentional way of like, how are you actually feeling? So I feel like you can, I guess we do this to each other, but like, I think you catch up with some of my bullshit. Like, how are you? Like, I'm like, good. They're like, no bullshit. Like what, what, how are you really doing, man? So I think there's some, I guess, richness to that as well. Yeah. If we could replace no homo with no bullshit, that'd be like pretty great steps in the right direction there. <laughs> yeah. And so one of the things that comes up for me too, around like we're talking about intimacy as it relates to masculinity. So think about someone who's listening to this and be like, what's the, the freaking point? I don't know if I can actually convince anyone that the rewards for how difficult it is to reclaim intimacy based on the way we've grown up as men in this country. I don't know if I can say it's worth it. 
Um, it's been a really tough process for me too, in terms of uh, maybe allowing myself to feel intimacy. And Jake, you asked a question earlier about are there different levels of intimacy? Like, I definitely think there is. The man box, we've talked about how culturally pervasive those messages and our understandings of what it means to be a man is, and it's very much anti-intimacy. So I'm curious what you all think some of the impacts of a culture without intimacy, particularly a masculine culture without intimacy, like what the impacts look like, how it manifests in the day-to-day, and then maybe how it manifests on a more systemic level as well. Yeah, I mean, I guess the first thought that comes to my mind around that is that how, I guess, thinking about physical touch in that sense, like men can't, I guess even me as well, like can't really like say how we're feeling. So we replace it with a, an action. But I think of it's like, as a, like the, I guess the Ted Mosby best friend doing the punches of the, <laughs> That's of right. the arm. And I think of it as he wants to establish closeness, but he has no way to do that besides hitting him in the arm. And so how does that manifest in this ma- masculine culture? And then how, and then how do we, practice uh intimacy and um physical touch on ourselves and women um and other people that don't identify as um, men as well what do you mean by intimately touching women jake like how i guess how do we practice well i mean you have you got something there but but i'm I'm thinking about like how we don't because i guess as men like i don't consensually ask to punch someone in the arm or like if asks if that felt good you know like but (laughs) like I think we are teaching ourselves as men is like touch having agency over other people's bodies is okay. And, and that's, and I guess that's how we establish closeness or connection is through that way. And then, then it perpetuates this whole function of touching and, and rape culture as well. Good. When we replace this concept of intimacy with violence, which is kind of Mm -hmm. what we're thinking is like, if, from a very early age, uh, being intimate and being close on a personal and emotional level with other people is considered wrong or not manly, then we still have those feelings of want to, to be close with people, right? If we're trained that we're only allowed to emotionally express ourselves through anger or just anger, I guess, <laughs> um, <laughs> then yeah. It makes me wonder, like, what are the ways that men express intimacy um, and then how what impact does that have on a broader level, which is what you're getting at, which I love the sense that if I can only be close to you through violence and then suddenly you come across someone, let's say you're heterosexual and you're like, oh, I really actually like this person, but I don't actually know how to emo slash be intimate with them, um, then that might that might cause a rift between those people that can be unnamed and really difficult to overcome and maybe connecting like lack of intimacy to violence might be a bit of a stretch. I don't think it is totally a stretch, but I do want to talk about some of the other ways in which a lack of intimacy can definitely impact the way we think about ourselves and the way we sort of act in the world. And so, Will, I was hoping to get some of your thoughts on that. Um, yeah, I think uh, this connects a little bit to that, uh, the blurb I said a little bit earlier, but um, yeah, due to you know the ways the man box has put me in the man box and has forced me to be there uh, through growing up, living in that man box, I, yeah, I didn't feel any intimacy or even really know what true intimacy was, um, due to just me blocking so many of my emotions. And I think for intimacy, it involves, you know, intense, you know, vulnerability and, um, confrontation of the emotions as they're happening and, um, self-acceptance, uh, and with absence of judgments and some pretty deep 
connections of knowing what you're feeling when you're feeling it. If you, if you're blocking all of what you're feeling, then you're obviously not going to be able to access that part. Um, and for me, when, when I was blocking that, I, I suddenly like tried to access that and realized, oh crap, like that's something pretty big and it feels good when it's happening. So like, I feel like I've just been missing that for so long that also tied back to, um, me like feeling a lot of loneliness and it just tied, tied into this, the sadness that stemmed from loneliness that stemmed from lack of intimacy. And is it from like yearn? It's from like yearning intimacy, correct? Or is yeah, it- the, the yearning comes in from like me realizing like that this is a thing that feels good and I haven't had it and I want to have it. So like if I can have intimacy in everyday connections I have with more people, then I feel like I can be more connected with not only myself, but others as well. Okay. So in what ways in which do you want intimacy? Like what, what would be examples of things that you're yearning for? If you don't mind me asking. Yeah. Initial uh, thought is connecting back to what we all initially think of when intimacy is with touch and, you know, breaking through that I can hug another dude without saying no homo or like doing a bro tap two fists on the back and like hips out. So our penises aren't too close to each other. Like all of that, you know, BS. So like definitely just more yeah interaction through touch that's, you know, accepted and has less stigma around it um, with other men as well as women or anyone else in my life. Yeah. Cause if you're worried about being perceived as gay through a hug, then you completely miss out on the fact that you're hugging. Like you're actually intentionally trying to make this connection, but there's so many, so many rules in a simple emotion slash an intimate, like I want to connect with you hug action. I just, that's a very real sight of what some of the very real impacts of a lack of intimacy slash this phrase of no homo, um, or any fear of being perceived as gay. That's where it really comes in for me in terms of the impacts of intimacy on self. And are there ways to, is there, are there ways to normalize intimacy through men that is like deemed as healthy? That makes sense. I mean, uh, yes, definitely. Um, the, I think normal, the process of normalization is really, um, easy in my mind. And an example I'll use is, um, when I first painted my fingernails, I would get just asked all the time, like why my fingernails were painted and what the point was. And then now people are like, Hey, cool color. You know what I mean? Like it's just normal. Mm -hmm. And that happened within the span of two semesters, maybe. And, um, you know, when I see someone that, and that's, that's just a very individual level easiness of normalization, a systemic level of normalization is much more difficult task. Like if we, if this society still has a stigma for being LGBTQ, then normalizing men touching each other doesn't matter. Like we need to stop discriminating and killing gay people and trans people first. And then we can kind of worry about the normalization of intimacy in the, in the United States in particular. But I do think it's worth the effort because all of that to me is very connected. Um, Yeah. I'd agree a hundred percent with what Carl said. Um, And I think, yeah, the, the normalization is, I think a lot for me has just been leading by example um, and, you know, pushing people to get past this, the surface level BS that we're all f- afraid to go deeper into. Um, and yeah, a lot of that is just, you know, kind of what we touched on at the very beginning of the episode, like, how are you? And answering that question honestly and openly. And for me, so yeah, when people ask me how I am I, and if I'm not feeling good, I'm going to tell them I'm not feeling good instead of just saying, oh, I'm great. How are you? And to avoid the entire situation. If you avoid that entire situation of allowing yourself to 
connect with your feelings, then you're just going back into the man box. And that to me really outlines why this conversation about intimacy is so incredibly crucial to the context of do you even lift bro is I really do believe that if we are able to reclaim a sense of intimacy, then the the man box legitimately crumbles. Like intimacy has its hands in literally everything related to masculinity. Like it, it's meant, it might be, it might not be the most major part of saying, how are you? And answering in a really surface level way, but that is an avoidance of intimacy, intimacy in its own right. The way we hug, the way we shake hands, the way we hang out, uh, you know, video, playing video games together is like fun, but it's not intimate necessarily. The concept of intimacy or the lack of intimacy is so pervasive in masculine culture that I really do think the more we address it, the more we think about it, the better we are at it, both with other people, but maybe especially with ourselves. I think that's where some of the a broader part of the solution is in terms of ending very stringent and oppressive notions of masculinity. So you mentioned like self-intimacy. So what does that look like for y'all? And I'll answer it as well. Well, it's definitely not masturbation. I think that's where one of the most, like if, if you're just sort of starting and to explore this concept of intimacy, like we started with physical, even though we kind of talk about this kind of stuff every day. And so I think it's easy to think intimacy and sex and then so when you say intimacy and self, you think masturbation. And I don't want to take away the fact that masturbation can be an intimate process. OK, but mm -hmm. I do think it definitely goes way beyond that. Being intimate with myself. Yeah, for me, it's just a lot of um, acknowledging feelings that are happening within myself instead of doing the stereotypical like push it away unless, you know, it's anger. And that's definitely been a journey that I'm just starting as well. It felt like different motives and techniques and ways to figure out where those feelings are coming from and why they're happening. And then I can help better understand myself and why I'm feeling certain things in different situations. And then from there it can go like, is this a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Do I enjoy this feeling? Do I not? Yeah, I guess for me, self-intimacy is uh, kind of about mindfulness for me. Like how, how am I feeling and how do I acknowledge those feelings and thoughts in a way that I deem is healthy and appropriate for myself. So it's a lot of like mindfulness practice and kind of just being alone and just closing my eyes. But, and then I think how, how does masculinity manifest with loneliness and, and mindfulness as well? It's something I always am pondering. When I think about intimacy and how it, like I talk a lot about on this podcast, how I like in high school growing up, up just a jock, right? Um, I was squarely in the man box. And so this practice of being intimate has been a really difficult journey for me personally. And I understand if that sounds ridiculous to some people and maybe particularly people who are listening who don't identify as men, like, come on, bros. But like, that's the point of this. <laughs> that's the point of this like podcast, yeah, right? Like, this sure. is where we should talk about these kind of things, particularly with other men. And one of the things I really, really encourage if trying to be intimate with yourself is a journey you want to go on is really kind of start with therapy. Like I think going to counseling for me was, it saved my life for sure. But the challenges put forth there can only go so much because you have to sort of complete those challenges on your own. Like you have to do some pretty difficult work in terms of really coming to grips with being intimate with yourself. Like the way I sort of described it going through it was I spent so long pushing down concepts of intimacy and pushing down my emotions and then when I finally sort of popped the lid off of that, it went haywire. Like it exploded out like that freaking can with snakes in it. You know what I mean? Like it just, it went in every direction. I had no control of like how much I reacted to stuff versus how little I reacted to stuff. 
it was just kind of out of control. And I feel like that's what happens when you push it down for 25, 27 years and then decide to just open it up. If you're out there kind of thinking, I need to do this because I think not doing it results in a lot of um, harm to self, right? Like men are disproportionately committing suicide um, at certain age, age ranges and men are committing violence all over the place, which is a really sad manifestation of a lack of intimacy in my mind. Yeah. And I think that's where I think uh, being intimacy with myself has been the hardest. And I think it's pretty broad across most of the dudes I talk to um, is, you know, it's easy to like understand and feel happy feelings, but as soon as it gets to sadness, that's when like it hits the fan. That's where it gets really difficult is, you know, being intimate with yourself enough to allow yourself to feel the sadness and then explore where that's coming from instead of just bearing it down and saying, I'm fine. This concept of self-intimacy and sort of exploring that as hard as that is, it's like next level shit trying to do that with other people, particularly with other men. Um, I think we have to be very careful as men when we start doing this journey of intimacy. The default is to do it with women who we would view as sort of already able to do some of that. So I think it's it's okay to feel that draw, but I would also like caution that, I guess. There's this concept called emotional labor. And if we're constantly processing our lack of intimacy, which happened because of the messages that we got from other men with women, then that's an unfair balance of emotional labor that we need to be cognizant of if we're going to do this social justice thing. And so Again, one of the hardest things that I went through was opening up and being intimate with other men, knowing that that's actually a very social justice process, even though it might like might not feel like we're doing any good for the world. We're definitely doing really good things for ourselves and modeling it for other people. Um, I guess for me, I can. Yeah, I agree with that, that um, I guess the first when I was first starting to have a relationship uh, specifically with a woman is that. I could process everything with her if I needed it. And I guess I'm at this point in the relationship that I know that I can't always go to her for support. And I know that also gives, puts a lot of burden on her if I think that I only can receive support from her. So I think talking about it with other men has been really, I guess, beneficial for me, but I can see, I also know the challenges of that as well. Like I think talking to Will about some shit that I've been going through has been has been like tough to get to i've gotten to that point where it's come become more comfortable because i've been doing it more often but to get there was such a big challenge and i think even talking to my brother about it too was a very difficult thing and a very like i view it as like a challenge and i'm not saying you can't process with right i'm just saying be very careful with how much of a load that you put on the women in your life right yeah, for me, I've definitely come more and more aware of who I'm processing with and when and why I'm doing so. The more I've understood the concept of emotional labor. And uh, it's also when I think of emotional labor and who I turn to process feelings or um, when I need help or who I check in with. When I like look back on what I've done in the past, it's majority, almost 100% of the time women. But since recognizing that and understanding that, you know, it's a very intentional but also challenging process in my mind to like my initial reaction when I'm going through something hard or um, need to express an intimate feeling or connection or difficulty I'm having with my life. The, my initial reaction is like, okay, let me text this woman who I'm good friends with. But um, now I'm to the point where I, I can be like, oh crap, 
let me check that real quick. And like, now I can reach out to Jake or maybe some other dudes have more intimate connections with what I'm going through is most likely tied to me and my masculine BS. So also understanding concept of emotional labor, I should reach out to the dudes first to have that conversation and connection and help. But also a lot of the dudes in my life are still very much trapped in that man box. And I can't go to them for a lot of this because they just don't know how to handle it or wouldn't understand what I'm going through or would just be like, yeah, bro, that sucks. Uh, Oh, just you being (laughs) sensitive. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, you guys have like the benefit of going through something that directly challenges how you've constructed your masculinity right here at Colorado State. And then I imagine you still took like months and maybe years to even like break that barrier of intimacy with each other. That's why when I, when we talk about things being hard, Jake and this podcast, like obviously being a dude in this country is not hard mm-hmm. and we are trying to create space for things that are hard in our lives. And I think creating intimacy with other men in your life is incredibly difficult in a way to shape it into something that's meaningful um, and supportive of each other. Correct me if I'm wrong about this whole, like you two took a while to actually break that barrier thing. No, you're right. Or at least from my, in my, at my from my end, like it took a while to break that emotional barrier and feel like it, I could like really say how I'm doing or be, or just be vulnerable to really anyone regardless of gender, but mostly, but men, I think, well, yeah, being vulnerable was super difficult for me at first, but then being vulnerable to men was like just next level shit. It was just this like barrier that I thought I would never get over, but I think it it's something that I've been really working with. Which is rooted in homophobia, right? Like that's right. not even like, I don't want, like I can't, it's more like I don't want to be perceived as gay. Right. Yeah. The timeline for me was a little different. Like the time where I was like finally allowing myself to be more vulnerable and intimate, I had already like had a pretty good background knowledge of emotional labor. So yeah, it happened kind of at the same time. It was, I was battling with both at the same time, also understanding and recognizing um, each different concept. Yeah. And we haven't even like talked about, I think one of the, even maybe even the next step around that is this concept of touch between men. Like we lose a lot of sense of connection in my mind if we are afraid to touch each other because it's so deeply connected to sexual, like being sexual. I'm pretty sure intimacy and touch is connected on some level. Like, I don't think we're necessarily there yet as a society, unfortunately, but I do think a worthy sort of next step goal, if you will, is yes, establish emotional intimacy with with each other. And then like the closeness that you can achieve through intimate, not necessarily sexual touch is some next level stuff that I don't see myself necessarily achieving in my lifetime and the way it sort of like manifests for me in society is um the three of us actually went to see this speaker uh he was a former football player and does masculinity and does a lot of art and stuff like that and i don't remember if he pulled this quote from someone else but the thing that he put up on the screen that i had to take a picture of and i still have on my phone today is it says you construct intricate rituals which allow you to touch the skin of other men the super bowl i think is something that he talked about where that's one of the few arenas if you win or lose men are allowed to cry and hug each other and like really just kind of touch other people in general. And so the like epic ritual of playing a 16 game NFL season plus four games in the playoffs just to get to that point, just to touch skin of other men, 
that is the degree in which we've distanced ourselves from this concept of intimacy and touch amongst men as it relates to how the man box has ripped that from us. Yeah. And I think the like level of homophobia on the sports field during the game is fascinating. Like, cause yeah, if you tackle someone and you like, don't get off them initially, like right away, then like people get really pissed because you're like touching them for too long or like, yeah, you can't just like hug another player in the middle of a game. People would freak out like, yeah. and a lot of aggression and anger would come out. I'm, I'm assuming immediately as well, even though you're allowed to intimately touch men after the, however long you go through whatever you're doing. If you do it during, it's still viewed as very homophobic and, and just can't do it. Mm-hmm. So now that we talked about intimacy, Will, can you tell us about your journey through masculinity? Where to begin? Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, for me, I grew up very athletic. Um, my parents and I had an older brother who all um, encouraged me to do sports. Um, so I ended up doing playing baseball and basketball for 11, 12 years um, and then joined in football in eighth grade year. So played football um, for five years. So I was rooted a lot in the man box in a lot of those arenas and spaces. My journey was a little different than the stereotypical jock because I was also um, introduced into music and band um, in third grade. And that's a very different arena where I think there's definitely pervasive masculine problematic issues, but in a different, not, I wouldn't say as stereotypical um, way that is as pervasive. Yeah. All through middle school and high school, I was doing marching band and jazz band um, and concert band, which I think saved me to a certain degree and gave me a space where I could be more true to myself than standing on the sideline with 30 other dudes, you know, making stupid, sexist, racist jokes, um, or making fun of each other for not being strong enough, fast enough, whatever. When I grew up, I was very much in the man box, but always had like an inkling of like, maybe this isn't exactly where I want to be, or maybe there's like something better than staying in the lines of all this homophobic BS. Um, and then when I got to college, of course, the first thing I, when I got here, I was looking for another space of a bunch of dudes. So I joined a fraternity and <laughs> of course we all kind of know the masculinity, pervasiveness, problematic stuff with that. Um, so I was like continuing on with like my stereotypical staying in the man box, staying in what's comfortable. And then right around the time I ended up dropping my fraternity, I actually joined um, in the movement and really opened my eyes to that inkling of like, maybe there's something else other than this that could be good for me. Um, it really allowed me to explore that and open that up. Um, and that was three years ago now. So over the past three years, there's been a lot of deconstructing a lot of the problematic issues around my own masculinity that stemmed from a lot of the sports arenas and other just stereotypical um, problematic things. Yeah, there's been a lot of just deconstruction of that and understanding, pointing out problems or ish, things that I did, actions that I made, things that I said that were problematic, understanding why they were problematic, um, and understanding why I said them, where they came from, how I was taught them, and then, you know, growing and reconstructing my own um, new healthy masculinity that um, allows me to intimately touch other men, hug other men um, without saying no homo and being comfortable with it. And then just allowing myself to explore my thoughts and feelings more fully and being more connected with myself as well as others. So you mentioned that you're in a fraternity and how that is like a different kind of a different space than, than men in the movement. Um, and how that has 
maybe constructed your masculinity in a different way. What are some aspects of the fraternity or what drew you to be in that fraternity? Like what, what drew you to be in an all male space? Um, initially when I came to college, it was very much like I knew I wasn't going to play sports because I'm not big enough, strong enough, fast enough, whatever, what have you, um, to be at this level. But I also had growing up, I'd always had that space of just a bunch of dudes to hang out with. I was looking for that in the college space and the fraternity space and construction of identities fit that very, very well and very much. So it was just seemed natural for me to join a fraternity and I immediately fit in and because I was portraying a lot of the stereotypical masculine things and being very much in the man box. So I fit in immediately really well with almost everyone in the room. I guess as white men, I think about how we all, we can go and say, we can say like, oh, I like what you're doing, but that's like not for me. Is there, was there ever a time that you felt complacent or were the, and if there wasn't, what kind of drew you to this work and why do you keep doing it? Um, I wouldn't say there was any time where I was complacent. It was just a time where I was ignorant. I didn't know this work was happening or what it was or why it was important. And then Carl actually came in and did a couple of presentations. The first time I saw him was he was just did a presentation in front of all new members of fraternities. That's what the first time I saw him. And then we had him come into my actual specific chapter room after I had joined the fraternity. And that just kind of opened my eyes to like a lot of this work and what's happening. Cause I, yeah, I just had no idea that it was happening before. And I just seemed really cool and really important, especially when you like look at some of the statistics about specifically sexual assault and like, Oh, like one in four collegiate women experience sexual abuse and sexual assault. Then like, if there's a way for me to be able to help 25% of the women on campus right now, then like that would be cool. But also just like understanding not that it's not just women, that there's also the one in six for men and the one in two for trans people. This issue affects almost literally every single person, you know, or interact with. So if there's a way for me to be able to help everyone around me and myself, then why would I not want to be a part of it? Mm. So you have long hair. Tell me about the decision process for that and if that's at all linked to masculinity. And if I recall, when you first came to CSU, you didn't have a beard slash mustache. And did it coincide with growing the hair? Uh, great question. Um, that's a good one. For me, I'll touch on hair first and then go to beard. Um, my decision to grow out long hair was initially right around the social media movement of the man bun. And, um, that being very popularized and that being viewed as sexy and like, um, so that was very much when I was still very young in my journey of masculinity. Um, it was just like, Hey, like that looks dope on people. If I pull my hair back, I kind of look dope. And like, if that can help me get girls, then I will absolutely do it. Um, <laughs> that was very much my initial thought process. Um, and just like, but also coinciding with laziness and like, not wanting to go in to get a haircut and pay for it. Then it was like, this all just like seems fantastic to just uh, stop getting haircuts and grow my hair out and maybe get more women and look good. So that was a lot of the initial motivation behind growing out my hair. Um, and the journey has definitely been a long one. And uh, especially because it's coincided a lot with my journey through masculinity, understanding the problematic ways I was thinking about it originally. And also understanding now that like a lot of the times and a lot of the processes that I do now with long hair coincides with a lot of um, stereotypical norms that a lot of people identify as women feel they have to have long hair. And there's just a lot of BS around taking care of hair and maintaining long hair and 
just paying, you know, $65 for a haircut in a salon. You can't just like walk into the typical barber shop with like the candy cane pinwheel and say, what up dude? And sit down. And five minutes later, you give them 10 bucks and walk out the door. Like there's a lot that goes into having long hair that I think has opened my eyes just a lot to understanding, not necessarily how women feel. Cause I can never understand that I'm a dude. There's no way. Um, but kind of getting an inkling of like the BS that a lot of women have to go through um, or the, if they feel they have to go to go through because of societal pressure. And then when I came to college, I did have a beard, but it was a, it was a much more subtle, smaller beard. It was like a chin strap tie, style type beard. And I'd rocked that through like all the way through high school. <laughs> um, and I, I just, uh, I don't think, um, for me, there was much of a connection between growing up my hair and, um, allowing myself, my, allowing myself to grow a fuller beard and have it, um, be more over my face. Um, but I, it, I haven't explored that a lot and there definitely could be a connection there, but just initially right now, I don't feel like there was. Word. Thanks for trying. Yeah. Thank you. I even remember asking or telling you, Oh, I like your man bun. And you're like, why is it? Why you got to say man bun? <laughs> awesome. That's like, work. <laughs> I was like, I, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I've definitely now like used my hair almost as a tool to engage in social justice conversations, especially with other men. Like it, if I have my hair up in a bun, I will definitely get dudes to comment like, oh, dude, sick man bun. And like, then I can, it's just like a, such an easy door to walk, like open up and be like, why are you calling a man bun? It's just a bun. Why you got to gender it? And then they're like, oh. Um, <laughs> and that's how I felt. Yeah, it, it, puts, it puts people on their toes pretty quick and is, uh, I think, a really great tool for me to be able to access um, talking about social just type masculinity over gendered BS stereotypes with other dudes. Definitely. So thank you for checking my shit. So thank you so much for sharing, Will. Um, so now we know that we are more than our just our masculinities. So we're going to ask you some rapid fire questions if that is okay. Yes. So remind us how you introduce yourselves every time you go into something and people have to introduce themselves. Hi, my name is William, but I also go by Will or Willie or any subset of that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. So what is the origin story for any other subset? It has evolved pretty naturally. There was never a point where I was like, I walked into a room and was like, all right, I'm going to use this term now. I think it's just definitely kind of evolved just through more and more, especially when I came to college, I was just meeting more and more people. Um, so there's a lot, just more opportunities and times where I had to introduce myself. And initially when I came to college, I introduced like after like the first week of meeting 400 people, I was like, screw it. I'm not introducing myself as William anymore. All the way up until college, I'd introduce myself as William. My name is William. Everyone calls me William. Um, but it's just like a sake of time and efficiency. Like if I'm introduced, like I'm introducing myself to so many people, I'm just going to call myself Will. I'm saying my, my name's Will. But then there's immediate pushback from people who had known me for longer. Like you're, you're not Will, you're William. Like, um, and for me, there wasn't like, I, I've never like felt a strong connection to like a different like nickname for me. I've never like felt a nickname is really... I've never really enjoyed one or really didn't like one. And it just got to a point where I was like, all right, well, screw it. If I can't even decide like what I want to be called, then I'll just let other people decide for me. Word. That's bullshit. Well, because like it's, I, I call BS on it because like if I, if I saw you across the plaza and I'm like, Hey, Liam, Liam, you would never respond. That's true. But also then in, yeah, I'm going to defend myself a little bit, but, um, cause in spaces where I do enter myself is that, and yeah, people immediately come back with like, well, what if I call you like some weird outside the box thing? And like, they just like throw it out there to kind of be an asshole as well to just like make me 
go back on what I introduced myself as and just kind of like play devil's advocate or whatever and come up with some crazy thing, then I'll be like, okay, yes, you can call me that, but you need to let me know that you're going to call me that before so I can be up prepared for it. That's true. So do you parkour? I do hardcore parkour. Hardcore. I do parkour. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. Flipping's fun. I like flipping. It's I'm a adrenaline junkie to a point and I've also just been pretty athletic always. And in high school I got into um, going to trampoline parks and doing flips and stuff. Um, and then it got to a point where like parkour got super popular on the internet and people were like doing parkour. And I was like, that's cool that people can do trampoline stuff outside. I'm going to go try that. And like hurt myself a couple times. I was like, okay, I, I guess this is hard. Um, and then started training a little more um, specifically with more people who are more knowledgeable about parkour and safety tips and aspects and being able to take some of my flips and stuff that I enjoy outside. What's something that makes you nervous? Feelings. <laughs> You. <laughs> well done. Um, if you had, if you, sorry, if you were to have a, a, like a different skill, what would it be that you don't have already? Like you can just pick a skill. Yeah. Like Carl said one time he would like to be like a talented musician or like really in tune with music. Really in tune with my feelings. <laughs> no, I um, guess. Okay, yeah, well, that yeah, is yeah, a yeah. skill, but <laughs> you should um, already try to get there. <laughs> I really like to be better at cooking. Um, like, I cook a lot of my meals now, um, but they're very basic, like, quick shake and bake pork rice aroni meals. And, like, if, to some college students, that's definitely like, whoa, you're like cooking. Um, <laughs> but I, I, my dad was a chef for a long time. So I also know and recognize it. Like, oh, there's like, there's a lot more to cooking than like what I'm doing. And I think I, I also just like want to be healthier in my diet. And I think if I had the skills or took the time to be better at cooking, um, I think just like my overall health would, would be better too. If you were to get to this level of like cooking that you would want to be what would be like your special dish or your favorite dish to cook it would be that's a good question um probably some sort of steak dish nice it's so bro <laughs> yeah and, and, um, <laughs> and grilling things isn't that hard um <laughs> no 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 like <laughs> yeah steak is steak and meat is very just like dude bro -y. um <laughs> but there's a, there's a dish I've attempted a couple of times that's uh, like a sirloin steak that you cook in a cast iron skillet with uh, butter, thyme and um, other spices that are, oh, and, that and I do good. like twice baked potatoes with it where you got to like bake the potato, pull it out of the oven, add a bunch of cheese and a bunch of other stuff to it and then bake it again and like make super dope potatoes. And there's, so there's, there's also more finesse to like what I was referring to and it's like. I want to learn how to throw a steak on the grill better. <laughs> yeah, that's where I was going. Like, it's easy to grill food. Like, <laughs> uh, I have a two-parter. How many skateboards do you own? Two. Do you name them? No. Are they any other subset of William? <laughs> no. <laughs> do do you have a favorite? Um, my favorite one would probably be the most ridiculous skateboard ever created by anyone ever. It's the boosted board to double motorized like 22 mile an hour electric skateboard that costs an absurd amount of money and makes no sense for anyone to buy ever. Um, <laughs> but I, I bought it for myself. It's like, I qualified it as a birthday present, um, but it was, it's, it's a really stupid toy, um, but it's super, super fun, uh, but really not practical in any sense of the word practical as far as price or just general transportation. I don't ride it very much because it's just a large, heavy, 
ridiculous thing. And especially if I'm trying to be conscious of like how much space I'm taking up as a dude, like bringing in this giant longboard with like a controller and that weighs three times as much as a regular longboard. And you got to lean it up against somewhere and I have to bring my helmet in too. And like, it's just a lot of just crap to deal with. But yeah, it's my favorite. It's my favorite. Skateboard. <laughs> yeah. Even the charger I saw in your room. That's huge yeah. for a long board. Like, I know. Well, well, thank you so much for sharing, man. We really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Uh, I enjoy myself and I just really appreciate you and the stuff that you bring. And you're an integral part of my life. I think my professional career at least. Um, and so thanks for being here. Yeah. Thank you, dude. Um, it's always a pleasure to talk to you and your presence is always awesome. And I just look forward to having more conversations and spending more time with you thank you so much for doing this and thank you for having me that will do it for this episode of do you even lift bro men exercising social justice if you have feedback thoughts comments questions or want to be interviewed for a podcast please email us at wgac at colostate.edu that's wgac at c-o-l-o-s-t-a-t-e dot edu huge shout out to our partnership between the women and gender advocacy center and kcsu here at colorado state university these are the folks that even allow us to make this podcast happen uh, so thank you all very much for more content about masculinities check out men in a movement and for more information about the WGAC, go to wgac.colostate.edu. For more KCSU content, go to kcsufm.com. Music production is by Xavier Hadley, a.k.a. Savley. Check him out at soundcloud.com slash Xavier Hadley. That's X-A-V-I-E-R-H-A-D-L-E-Y. Deuces. Deuces.